The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. So good. I hope that you'll make plans to stick around after the 1045 services. We have the opportunity to celebrate with these brothers and sisters as they go into the waters of baptism later today. Hey, I'm so glad that you are here. If you're new around here, I'm Barry. I'm the senior pastor. We're thrilled that you're with us and welcome to everybody who's joining us online. If you have your Bible with you, grab it. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. We got a lot of ground to cover today. We are here on the sixth Sunday, the final Sunday of our series called one life at a time, where we're talking about this reality that, that the movement that Jesus came to bring, the, the movement that he started 2,000 years ago, that, that's now gone global and it, it, it has reached a third of the world's population that are, that are called into this Jesus movement. But this movement that Jesus came to bring began and has moved forward down through the centuries and, and continues to move forward today one life at a time. Jesus had this remarkable ability that even when he was surrounded by crowds of people, that his focus would narrow down to that one singular life. And the call of God on us as a church family this year is for each of us to identify one life, one person that we long to see gospel transformation in their life and, and to dedicate ourselves, each of us, to pray for that one life, that they would experience God's transforming work through the gospel in their lives this year. And... Uh, as we wrap up our series this week, we're gonna look at the Apostle Paul. Last week where we left off, we talked about the idea that when it comes to those people in our lives, that we long to see gospel transformation. There's not a person that, that we love and long to see transformed that God doesn't also love. And, and there's not a person whom, whose life God is not already at work. And so our job is to stay close and be ready. And this week we're gonna see that that part of what it means for us to be ready is for us to be ready to share our story. This week, we will look at the story of one man who, when opportunity came, he shared his story. And it's a reminder that his story is, in many respects, so much like ours, that each of us has a story to tell. It's a story that follows the pattern that we sang about earlier. We sang, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Every one of us who have trusted in Jesus, who, who have uh, put our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, for the hope of eternal life, every one of us who's a Jesus follower has a story to tell that follows that basic pattern. I was, but now. And that's what we're gonna see this morning in the story of the Apostle Paul. Dive in with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Paul here is on trial before Festus and Agrippa. These rulers, we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but Paul takes advantage of this opportunity. Here he is before a man of immense power, and Paul has no power except the power of his story and the power of the Spirit. But watch the way the story plays out. Verse 26, beginning, chapter 26, beginning in verse one. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, 
I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, especially so because you're well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul begins with his life before Christ. I was, and he begins to tell his story, but, but I love the way he begins. First of all, just make note of the fact that it says he gestured with his hand. As somebody who tends to over-gesture with his hands, I'm glad to know that I'm in good company with Paul. Right? He gestures with his hands and begins his defense. And he says, I consider myself very fortunate. Now, to get the irony of those words at the beginning of Paul's defense, we have to think a little bit about the setting. What's going on here? Well, Paul is in a place called Caesarea by the Sea. If, if we ever get to go to Israel, you, you get to go with me. I, I hope to take you there. It's a beautiful spot along the Mediterranean Sea. But Paul has been kept there in prison for two years, two years languishing in prison for preaching the gospel. And he's been held there. And so finally now he has a, a hearing and he's brought um, by the, the governor Festus before King Agrippa. Festus is trying to figure out, what do I do with this guy? And he thinks maybe this guy Agrippa can help me with this. Now, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice, the people that we're um, introduced to here. Festus is Porcius Festus, the governor of this part of, um, of ancient Palestine. Now, with the name like Porcius, I understand why he goes by Festus, right? I'm not sure I would want to go by Porcius either. So we see him referred to throughout here as Festus. But he is the, the governor of this region. And then we're introduced to Agrippa. Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. He is the son of Herod Agrippa I. Funny how that works, right? Um, and Herod Agrippa I is the son of Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. So, so what we know by thinking about that family tree is this is a bad dude who comes from a long line of bad dudes. Herod the Great is the one who tried to kill Jesus and slaughtered all the innocent children in Bethlehem. Herod Antipas was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod Agrippa I is the one in Acts chapter 12 who arrested James and had him killed with a, with a spear. This is a bad dude who comes from a long line of bad dudes. And he has the power to take Paul's life. And Agrippa here is described with Bernice, who is, um, who is his queen, who is his mistress and who is also his biological sister. And as a preacher, I'm not even going anywhere near that whole thing, right? And this is a bad dude with some other bad people. And here Paul stands before them and says, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you. Two years of languishing in prison, standing before power that has the power to take his life. And Paul says, I consider myself fortunate. Why? Because Paul recognizes that this trial is an opportunity for him to give testimony. It's an opportunity for him to tell his story before the king. That God is at work in Paul's life and has brought him to this place to give him an opportunity. And I think it's really important for us to just recognize, we may not go through the kind of trial that Paul is going through here, but we have trials in our life. And so oftentimes the trials of our life become the testimonies that we have to bear, the opportunity that we can share our story of what God is up to. 
And that's what Paul is going to do here. Paul dedicates himself to telling his story. And he says um, that he lived his life as among the strictest of the strict religious people. I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul says, I was the most religious of the most religious. And yet in looking back at his life before Christ, Paul is acknowledging the reality that all that religion got him nowhere in terms of his standing before God. That Paul had lived his whole life trying to live up to God's standards in hope of earning God's favor. And Paul recognizes now there's nothing that he could do to earn God's favor. He was the most religious of the most religious, and yet his religion was worthless in establishing his standing before God. And so Paul acknowledges this is where I was. It's important for us to recognize that none of us can save ourselves. That the fundamental impulse of the fallen human heart is to try to fix our problems in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. And you see it in the religious impulse to try to earn God's favor. And yet what Paul is communicating to us here is that there is no way in which we can earn God's favor through our own strength, our own effort, our own ability. Then he goes on, verse six. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised to our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Here, Paul is building a bridge to what Agrippa ostensibly believes, that Paul is appealing to Agrippa's Jewish background. And and Paul is saying, Jesus is the culmination of Israel's story. Jesus is the one who's come to fulfill what Israel has longed for. Jesus is the one who is Israel's God who's come in the flesh. He says, do you believe in Israel's God? If you believe in Israel's God, you, you shouldn't find it incredible that that God can raise the dead. Paul is bridge building with his audience. Then we go on verse nine. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison and and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul is pointing back to his story when he was actively involved in the persecution of the early church. That that he was convinced that he ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That he participated in in people that were put to death. We see the story of Stephen and Paul Paul held the coats, which is an indication in that day that, that Paul's kind of the one in charge of the whole thing. That Paul actively went from one city to another trying to persecute the early followers of Jesus. Out of his zeal for God, he sought to persecute the church. And I think it's just a really important reminder to us that we can actually find ourselves working against the purposes of God in the name of God. Right? That we can find ourselves uh, in, in acting with hostility toward people who need to hear the gospel and alienating people from the God who's come to show grace, 
mercy and compassion. That sometimes in our zeal for righteousness, we actually wind up working in opposition to God in the name of God. And Paul says, that was true of my story. I was so religious and I was zealous in my persecution of the early church. I was, but then Paul shifts and begin to talk about, but, but what happened when he met Jesus? Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness for what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul describes this powerful encounter with Jesus that he had on the road to Damascus. You can read the story back in Acts chapter nine. This is the moment of Paul's salvation, the moment of Paul's conversion as he sees this blinding light that drives him to the ground in awe before the one who is before him. And, and, and then a voice speaks to him. And I love the fact that Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, he uses that personal name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and isn't it interesting? Jesus says, why do you persecute me when, when what Paul has been doing is persecuting the church? And so Jesus is saying, what you do to them, Paul, you do to me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And he says, now get up, because I have a purpose for you. And the purpose for you is for you to be one who declares the gospel, who brings the gospel to your fellow Jewish people, as well as to bring the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. A wonderful little summary of the gospel. Salvation by grace alone, nothing that we could do to earn it or deserve it. By faith alone, merely by trusting in what Christ has done for us. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that is only through Jesus that we have the hope of forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And Jesus encounters Paul on the road to Damascus, brings that gospel to him that changes him, and then says to him, get up and go. I'm gonna now t take you to declare the gospel to the world. So Paul had his experience before Jesus. I was, and now his encounter with Jesus, but, and then what Jesus has done in his life since then, now. Look with me in verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. This is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me, but God has helped me to this very day so that I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the, the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light 
to his own people and to the Gentiles. I love the way Paul begins this section. He says, he says, so I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven, which I think it's a good idea not to be disobedient to the vision from heaven, don't you? I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven. And, and so I got up and I, I, I did what he told me to do. I went to begin to proclaim this good news, to call people to repent, to, to turn from their life of sin and to turn to God and to demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. And again, he points back to Israel's story. This is what Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and that he'd be the first to rise from the dead. Here, Paul brings the message of the gospel to its um, crescendo in talking about the resurrection of Jesus. This King Agrippa is what you have to come to reckon with. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The, the early church believed because they saw, they encountered the risen Christ. And so Paul here brings it to the crescendo. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, raised from the dead. And look the way Festus responds. Verse 24. At this point, at this point Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, O most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because none of it was done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Festus hears Paul talk about the Messiah risen from the dead. And he thinks this guy is completely lost it. He's loony. He's gone crazy. Your, your, your great learning, Paul, is driving you insane. But Paul says, I, I'm not insane, oh, Festus, oh, excellent Festus, which is a good thing to say when you're on trial for your life. I, I'm not insane that, that this is what... The, the, the scriptures said was gonna happen, that, that Jesus would rise from the dead. And, and I love what he says to Agrippa, right? He's really focusing in on this connection with Agrippa. And he says, I'm convinced that, that none of this got past him because none of this happened in a corner. I mean, it's interesting to note, Agrippa's grandfather was the one who Jesus stood before when he was put on trial for his life. Jesus' father was the one who threw James in prison and had him killed, threw Peter in prison before his miraculous release. Agrippa's family has been connected to a part of this story. Agrippa II himself was seven years old at the time that Jesus died. He's grown up his whole life with the beginning and the spread of early Christianity. I think Paul is saying, in essence, King Agrippa, there's people in your kingdom right now who saw him alive. And in this moment where he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. This moment that, that, that Paul calls for a decision. This is the moment of decision. Now is the moment of decision. King Agrippa, and I love the way he's turned the tables here, right? He's the one who's being questioned at the beginning. He's the one who is on trial. It is him before the king. But now in this moment, it's the king before God. King, king Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. If you believe the prophets, King Agrippa, 
what are you gonna do with Jesus? And I think there's a question there for us today. What are you gonna do with Jesus? You know, years ago, I used to have an assignment with my students when I taught in the seminary. And the assignment was for them to tell their testimony, for them to tell their story of how they came to faith in Jesus. And I had one student who was very resistant. He was very reluctant. He, he didn't want to do the assignment. And so he was just going to take an, an F. He was going to take a zero on the assignment. So I said, what's, what's going on? Why, why didn't you turn this in? He said, well, I don't, I don't want to write my story because it's not about me. He, he was reluctant to tell his testimony because it's not about me. The truth is, you're right, it's not about you, but your story is one of the most powerful ways to convey the truth of the gospel. As we have a story, I was, what was true of your life before Jesus? But what was it about the gospel that you heard in that moment of encounter that drew you to trust in him? And now, what is God doing in your life now? Each of us who have trusted in Christ have a story to tell that tells the story of Jesus, that tells the story of the gospel. And this morning, for some of you, now is the moment of decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? Now watch what happens next. The closing scene. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Powerful moment. Paul draws to a decision. King Agrippa, what are you gonna do with Jesus? Agrippa says, Paul, do you think it's such a short time that you can persuade me to become a Christian? I have to think in that moment, there's a tension in the room, a tension in the air. As Agrippa sees this man in chains before him, here's Agrippa in his robe and crown. Here's Paul in his tattered clothes and chains. Perhaps he looks to his left and sees Bernice and knows that for him to trust in Jesus would require him to turn from his immoral life. Perhaps he turns to his right and he sees Festus, and is consumed with what this man of power and wealth, influence and affluence might think of him if he identifies with the preacher in tattered clothes and chains in front of him. And in that moment, he's resistant. You think in such a short time that you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul holds his chains and says, short time or long, I pray not only for you, but for everyone who's hearing me right now, that you might become just as I am, except for these chains. Friends, this morning, there may be some who are here in our midst, who have never come to that place of trusting in Christ. That, that, that you don't have the I was but now story, but you can have that story today. Now is the moment of decision. That we find here in this story, the story of the gospel, the gospel that Jesus came and he died a sacrificial death on our behalf. 
that he died to, to, to bear the penalty of our sin, our guilt, and our shame, but that he triumphed over sin and death through his resurrection from the dead, and merely by trusting in him, by putting our faith in him and what he has done for us, we can have the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And now is the moment of decision. What are you gonna do with Jesus? But for all of us who are here who have trusted in Christ for our salvation, Friends, you have a story to tell. And your story is not about you, it's about him, but it's one of the most powerful and effective ways in which we can convey the gospel to other people. As we share our story, I was, but now. You need to know your story. You need to to rehearse your story. You need to be prepared to share your story. Your story of I was, but now. Where were you before your life with Jesus? And maybe you were very religious like Paul, but you can recognize nothing I could do could save myself. But what was it about the good news of the gospel that you heard that drew you to put your faith in Jesus? Now, what's God's doing in your life now, giving you meaning and purpose and direction You have a story to tell. So let's stay close and be ready to share our stories. There's a a moment at the close of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter four, where Paul is writing to the church there and and he asked them to pray for him. And he says something really remarkable. He says, pray for us, pray for us, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, is once again in prison. When he talks about being in chains, he's not using a metaphor. He is literally in chains. And I can tell you with great certainty, if I was in chains and writing a prayer request, I know what my prayer request would be. Get me out of these chains. Notice that's not what Paul's prayer request was. What was his prayer request? Pray that God would open a door for our message and that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. Friends, this year, we are dedicating ourselves to pray for that one person that we long to see gospel transformation in their lives. And we're praying, God, would you open a door May I stay close and be ready. God, would you open a door? And when that door is open, may I proclaim it clearly, even as I should. Today, after the service is over, out in town square, you'll see a new um, wall installation on the pillar out there that has the the logo from this series, One Life at a Time. This theme that we're gonna come back to throughout the remainder of this year. And so it's a visual reminder for all of us of that person, those people that we're praying for together as a church. But there's also an opportunity for you to engage with that by taking a marker and writing the name of the person you're praying for. Doing that today or in the coming weeks is your commitment to pray for that person. But it also is a reminder for all of us that we're together praying that God would move to bring gospel transformation to our diverse community one life at a time. I hope you'll take the opportunity to put that name on that wall that we might pray together for God's movement through the life of our church. Will you join me as we pray? 
Father, I thank you this morning for our opportunity to gather around this story, the story of dramatic life change in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who went on to do such great things and, and be one of the most influential people in all of Christian history. And God, we can sit before the story and feel some sense of distance between ourselves and him. We're not Paul. And yet, each of us who have trusted in Christ have a story just like his. I was, but now. God, would you help us to be people who are prepared to tell our story? It's not about us, but it's about you. But it's a powerful way to communicate the truth of the gospel. And God, for any who are here this morning who have never trusted in Christ, may they hear this message and recognize now is the moment of decision. What are you gonna do with Jesus? And that this great promise of forgiveness and this great hope of eternal life can be theirs merely by trusting, saying, I believe in what Jesus did and did for me, and I'm gonna put my faith, put my trust in him today. God, would you stir in our hearts in these moments of response that each of us might respond as is fitting for us. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.